0: Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt podcast and our Day at Le Mans series brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and Geneticars. Cars have three nice, longer-form interviews today, this being with Peter Dumbreck, who sat down with our man Graham Goodwin on the 20th anniversary of the very frightful flight into the forest at Le Mans while driving for the Mercedes factory team. Then follow with an interview done by DailySportsCar.com's Stephen Kilby, who speaks with Risi Competizione race engineer Rick Mayer, one of the constant voices of insight regarding engineering in sports car racing. And then we close with an interview done by Graham with Cyril Teshwallen, the man in charge of the Asian Le Mans series, which is only going from strength to strength. So this is Thursday at Le Mans, final day of on-track activity ahead of the race. Come tomorrow, Friday, it will be the driver's parade and final day of preparation for the teams. Then we get into Saturday's 87th running of the 24 hours of Le Mans, which we simply cannot, cannot wait for. And thanks once again to our friends, Graham Goodwin and Stephen Kilby for bringing us great content every day. With our very first attempt at doing our Day at Le Mans series, and based on the reaction we've had, it's clear this is going to become an annual staple. So let's get going with Peter Dumbreck, followed by Rick Mayer, and closing with Cyril and all brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and Janetta Cars will be announcing and launching a brand new prototype tomorrow on Friday, which our man Graham will certainly be on top of in tomorrow's edition.
1: Thursday at Le Mans 24 Hours 2019, and with the final qualifying sessions this evening to determine the grid for the 87th running of this fantastic race, take the time with uh, my next guest for the day at Le Mans to look back 20 years to uh, this great race of 1999. And before we get to the moment in that race, which for many people certainly pictorially defines his um, his... Uh, is race uh, that year. We're going to go back and talk about just the astonishing grid that was assembled in 1999. Peter Dobrek is with me. Peter, part of Mercedes-Benz team uh, that year, but that was an astounding season, an astounding year of factory depth at this race.
2: Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, for for me, it was. Uh, I was coming out of single-seaters and I was actually still racing single single seaters at the time, Formula Nippon in Japan and uh, I got the chance to come here with Mercedes so I really didn't know much about the race itself Uh, obviously and subsequently I've learned a lot more, I've been racing here a few more times Uh, I've been working in a commentary booth for a few years as well so yeah regular visitor here but at the time it, it was a real um yeah let's go and do this this 24 hour race it sounds pretty cool and i didn't know that much about it and um yeah it's it's now when i look back and i see how many manufacturers were involved and uh, the money being spent and how big it was back then uh that you know it really did did uh, set set a target for you know world motorsport it was a
1: pretty much high watermark that year with, was it, seven factory teams? In, uh, the Something like that, yeah. Um, and you know, and it, it started out, the, the, the race meeting started out in dramatic fashion. We lost a factory car uh, very early on with Eric van der Poel uh, shunting one of the brand new Nissans. But your race defined, of course, by the, well, let's start with what it looked like, fantastic, gorgeous Mercedes CLR. Um, very much an evolution, but uh, in revolutionary fashion, from the all-conquering CLK GTRs and LMs. Yeah. But this, well, I don't know how you describe it, ultra-streamlined profile of that car. We've not seen anything like it before or since here at the Hours. It will, go, though, go down in memory for very different reasons. But before we get into that part of it, tell us a little bit about
2: that programme and your involvement in it. Um, I I got the chance. Uh, I think that the world, the GT1 World Championship, had had ceased to exist uh, at the end of 1998, and so Mercedes were looking for something to do. Uh, there was obviously talks of DTM coming back to DTM in 2000, but in the meantime, they were uh, going to go back to Le Mans for the second year um, in in a new program. Uh, and obviously they were going to go back with three cars, and were looking for drivers. I was doing quite well in Formula Three at the time, had won in Japan in their championship, and had won in Macau. And I got the chance to join Mercedes as a factory driver, alongside uh, some big names. Um, and you know, as as a driver, you're you can't uh, overlook that. You're always going to give that your attention, regardless of whether your sights are on Formula One or or whatever. Um, you get the chance to join Mercedes as a factory driver, and um, yeah, you take notice of it. So for me, it was a new thing—a 24-hour race. I hadn't I hadn't done a race over over say an hour and a half at that stage of my career. So. Um, It was really um, a new experience and I was kind of bedding myself in. We'd done a lot of testing with the car. We'd been to Fontana in uh, California um, using part oval and part infield. So, you know, every lap you're reaching, say, 200 miles an hour anyway. And we had a makeshift chicane to sort of slow us down and speed us back up again through the banking. We'd had no issues with the car. The car ran really well. Uh, We did two uh, 30-hour tests with the car there. And then we went to um, Magna Cure for another 30-hour test. That one I couldn't do because I had a Formula Nippon race that weekend. But the the car had done thousands of miles of testing. I'd never shown any sign that this was going to be an issue. Yeah, it'd been... I think the biggest thing is... The tracks we'd been at were fairly smooth and we arrived to um, a circuit where part road obviously and uh, back then a lot rougher road than it is now and we had crests and curbs and uh, camber and all sorts and bumps and uh, yeah it was for you know during the race week is the first time it really showed itself that our car And I remember going out and watching our car as it was going around, being in a session that I wasn't going to drive in, and uh, being out watching and seeing the front of the car porpoising, moving around and uh, thinking, oh, well, that's kind of normal, and I I feel that in the car, but I've just got used to it. Um, But why is none of the other cars were doing that? and uh, I think the the theory is that the the front of the car the overhang from the front wheel was longer than possibly it should have been and that's what gave that effect and so uh, yeah through the the race week everything seemed fine until uh, Mark Webber had his first incident um, which I don't think it got captured very well um, and to the general public, they didn't even know about it. We all knew as a team that he'd been over, um, but because it wasn't caught on camera and it wasn't caught on, on video, then uh, it didn't happen. So it well, was well, I can f- tell you, I was there as a fan that year. Uh, I think
1: my last year as a fan at the moment. No clue at that mm. point, no clue. Uh, it started to eke out a little bit later uh, that something had gone awry, but uh, you're absolutely right.
2: Yeah, so um, obviously within the team, we were a little bit uh, sworn to secrecy, Um, and we knew the car had been over, we knew Mark was shaken up by it, but he was fine, Um, the car was rebuilt. Uh, Basically what had happened on the run to Indianapolis, I, I think it was at the first kink rather than the second kink where I had my crash, the car took off, flipped, landed back on its wheels went in the wall Yeah, and you can, I have seen pictures of the car sitting up against the wall all battered um, but there's no indication that it's been over, uh, you know done a, a back flip uh, so he got lucky there and, and it landed on its wheels and you know, uh, broke up on impact a bit but um, all in all uh, he got out of it so the car got rebuilt they sent him out the next day um or maybe two, two, two days later but uh the with the, some tweaks to account yeah with some some tweaks a little bit more extra downforce on the front and uh, some canards uh to try to keep the front down um but it, it turns out that uh it, it on his very first lap out he goes over the the browit um heading towards multan corner and the car goes again and, and those pictures are infamous you can see the car in the air um with a, a dodge viper driving yeah. you know pretty close underneath and uh, really cool shots but uh <laughs> not if you the car for for marking the car <laughs> not so cool and it basically landed on its head and slid all the way down the track um for I don't know <laughs> maybe best part of half a kilometer or whatever um and you know that that was the final straw for mark i think um and i've read mark's book so i yeah. I, I you know we didn't really talk too much about it um but uh i kind of knew what he was feeling by by the time it happened to me and uh when something like that happens to you certainly the second time you're like well i'm done with this now I, you know i'm not getting back in that car um so the, the thought was right. We need to improve the car more, um, but we've put a lot of time and effort into this program, and let's carry on. And as a relatively young driver, I was of the opinion that well, if the team are saying let's drive, then let's drive. You know, you've, you've got to almost got to go with that as yeah. a young driver, looking to develop your career. E- exactly. Yeah, you're you're, you're kind of. I mean, I, I didn't. I didn't have a, an opinion that said R- we definitely shouldn't drive because the thing is when you're coming up as a, a driver, there's always the attitude that well it will never happen to me, and I think that's how you know drivers certainly back in the olden days when you know you're getting into a car and you, you know your best friend died last week in a, a, a previous race oh well it'll never happen to me I think that you know that attitude whether it's clever or not. is is in you somewhere
1: we we sometimes use a phrase that's meant to make light of it which is racing drivers sometimes lack a bit of imagination on those kind of fronts but it's that, it's the more professional end of that isn't it you trust in yourself, you trust in your machinery, you trust in your team Yeah, and something went wrong there
2: yeah Um, and and again you know 99% of the team it didn't go wrong it was just somewhere in the design of the car it wasn't right and uh, it was It was one of those things, and I suppose you could say Mercedes should have pulled the plug before um but again that 's hindsight you know we We might have gone on with two cars and and we might have won the race uh, but yeah, it turns out not, and you know we got whatever four or five hours into the race, boom boom, and the pace was strong. I remember you know it was my first stint as well in the car and uh i remember catching the toyota of of Butson ahead of me and thinking right i'm quicker than him i'm catching him but what do i do how how can i pass him when i'm not allowed to get anywhere near him um because we have this we had this kind of rule in place within the team that you can't slipstream but what is slipstreaming and you know there's there's no uh, hard and fast rule. Yeah, hard and fast rule. No markers saying, right, you are now at slipstream point, back off. So I I, I remember coming down into Maltzan Corner and I remember thinking, well, um, I've taken a lot off them on the brakes and I'm right up behind them now. But of course, the concertina effect, Toyota got on the power, he drove away from me out of the corner. And I remember driving out thinking, well I think that's far enough. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a that's big a enough break, gap, that's yeah. not slipstream now, is it? And then before I know it, um, I could see the sky. I mean, I know we've we've spoken briefly about this. You don't remember a lot about the incident at all.
1: Is that as much as you remember? Is it just that moment and then it's a blank?
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, and then we see the well, you know, I hate using the word, but you know, the the the, the, uh, the images, the TV coverage that literally everybody that follows this great race will remember of the car just blown through the air like a leaf.
2: Yeah, so none of that, uh, you know, and I've been in big shunts since then. I've had my fair share, and I remember every other shunt, <laughs> but that one, no, it, I, it was just too, too hard on my body, on my head, yeah, to to take. And Carlo Col- landed mercifully, right
1: way up, yeah, and uh, backwards, and backwards. Um, let's just confirm a couple of bits and pieces. That the legend has it that actually. Uh, the trees have been cut down there pretty recently. Tree stump through the back
2: behind you? Uh, again, there are pictures around. No, tree stump under the car on the right side. It's a left hand drive car. Right. Um, but you can see where the car That's ended right up resting. It's slightly um, tilted towards the left because it's resting on a tree stump. You know, it, it could have been that. You yeah. you hit one of them hard on under the driver and it's right. gonna break my back or, you know. And the other little um
1: snippet that comes from it time and time again is that when you first woke up there was a gendarme uh trying to take a breath test from it because it's a public road.
2: That wasn't there, that was later. Um my first memories were um being in a stretcher. In a not in a aluminium stiff stretcher but in a stretcher um, yeah yeah, with wooden handles and material and being locked in with my arms down my sides and I I remember very strongly uh, thinking I've been in a crash Um, I'm worried that I'm hurt hurt, and I want to be able to move my arms and legs and just check yeah. yeah. And I remember um, kicking my my legs around and moving my feet and my arms. And they said, stay still, stay still. Because they were worried about my spinal column or whatever. Um, and I said, but I need, I need to check. I need to check. I'm OK. And he said, OK, you can move your arms, but don't move your legs. Stay still. Keep your body still. And I remember just waving my arms around and, like, yeah, try, just trying I'm to get... Okay. Yeah. And okay. get get my head straight. No pain. Exactly. No no pain. Um, uh, yeah, bruises. But at that stage, uh, you know, no pain at all. I mean, I mean,
1: amazing. I mean, you're still active in motorsport. We'll be seeing you again in a week or so. time in another twenty four hour race. But I mean, it's amazing on that front. The intervention techniques, the equipment, the uh, the technology that's now available to protect guys in a position like you found yourself. Absolutely isn't mm. victim of an accident. That area picture has moved on in twenty years immeasurably.
2: Yeah, uh, many things have moved on, you know, circuit safety, uh, the the design of the cars themselves, if you remember, um they they designed the P one cars not to be able to flip over, no yep. flat bottom, you know, that kind of thing, air being able to get through the bodywork. Uh so um I suppose one of the big big things if I think back and I think, imagine someone had a crash like that now, yep. and and as I said, I've had subsequent shunts that weren't anywhere near as big as that. Um, but I've I've sat in a in a scanner for an hour and a half being scanned yep. up and down my body just to, to make sure I'm okay. And uh, I've I basically uh, got to the medical centre. They had a bit of a look at me. Dr Schmidt from uh, Mercedes was there. I remember him being there. And uh, he's quite easy going anyway. He's like, yeah, Peter, you're OK, you're OK. Come on, let's go. And uh, he just pulled me up and off I went. And uh, no scans, no nothing. Wow. And, uh, yeah, and, and nowadays you would be worried about concussion and all of that. But, you know, I, I, I was fine. Talk a little bit
1: more about 99 at a moment. But uh, it does strike me in that little bit of conversation a huge amount of opinion about the way in which the cars nowadays look because of the way in which things have changed to prevent that kind of accident, reducing that pressure underneath the car. Then we've got the shark fins and they polarise opinion as well. You've been in an accident like that. Actually, your opinion matters more than any of those opinions. What's your view of the changes that have been made to prevent, or rather to, what's the right word I'm looking for here, to raise the speed at which an accident like that is possible?
2: Well, I would say nothing Nothing stands still. Nothing in life stands still. And, um, you know, you go back to what Jackie Stewart did for the Grand Prix days back in the 70s. Um, and maybe there was resistance to begin with. But, you know, all walks of life, everything moves forward and technology brings it forward and... Uh, I, I think it's it's relevant that you know we've had changes made um we continue to have changes made more safety um uh, look at the the halo on the formula one car which just 10 15 years ago would have been laughed out of here but yet yeah, it's here and yeah. um and in the beginning there was a lot of resistance but now it's accepted and it's you know that's why an argument without tricky stewart we couldn't have this conversation. Hmm. That could have
1: been a wholly different story. Yeah. And it is simply people stepping up and making a difference. And, you know, drivers like you that can go out there and, and do these things. And these, these these tracks are. You know, this is this is a dangerous place. This is not a regular class
2: one circuit, is it? Absolutely. Um, and and they've done what what they can do to make it safe. But it's always going to claim its its victims, whether they're heavy shunts and someone's a a bit shaken or hurt or i mean you look at tracy crone just yesterday um big shunt yeah and it's it's not nice but the safety's there the cars are safer the tracks are safer um it limits the chances of getting seriously hurt you've been part of the tv commentary team here for a few years now you've watched since the last time,
1: we only lost Alan Simonson in 2013, um, you've watched those safety changes coming in over half a decade. Have they got it right? Has it ruined this great race? Has
2: it ruined this track, from your perspective? That's a difficult one, because, yeah, as you say, there have been changes, and I've, I was up at the Porsche curves yesterday, and I was remembering what it was like before, and, um, and the challenge... That it presented to you, and it's still a challenge now. But it's a challenge where, like modern Grand Prix circuits, if you get it wrong, you have the option of going straight, or you know you've got a split second longer to get it together and get round the corner. The, the consequences. consequences less. Yeah, and yeah, it, it's a real difficult one that I. I I don't have an answer for that, Uh, but I I suppose my answer is that as each generation comes through, they don't know any different, and that's what it is, and you're you're always going to get the people that look back with these rose-tinted glasses saying, well, it was much better back in my day, and this and that, but, you know... It, it doesn't matter back in, back in the day. Things are moving forward, and you can't stop that progression.
1: I guess it was a, a relevant
2: question to ask. If uh, let's say, for the sake of arguing,
1: that wasn't a nineteen ninety nine prototype, it was a twenty nineteen prototype, and that happened this year, mm. seems to me, in the world we now live in, twenty years on, the consequences to Mercedes Benz would be far greater.
2: Yes, I, I suppose part of that is. Um, that we have news at the touch of a button. Back then, not there was no YouTube around. There was no social media. The fact that we were here at the circuit, we didn't know. We didn't, yeah, we yeah, didn't know. E- exactly. And and now there's cameras everywhere. You can see everything. There's onboards everywhere. There's you know, you yeah. have, Everybody's got a camera in their pocket. Yeah, yeah. So, um it would be very different. And I'm sure Mercedes would. um Bear the brunt of that. The, probably their share price would bear the brunt of it, off the back of that. You know, it's it's one of those things. But um, yeah, I I I I would hate to think of it happening again. But I suppose the realistic side of me says, you know what, it, it could happen. If 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 a P1 car met the back of a slow moving AM uh, or, or GT car. And even someone that's limping back to the pits yep. and happen to, to connect it in the right way that it would the car would take off, then everything is possible. Yep. And these are the risks you take as a racing driver. Is this this race, the record grid this weekend, still a challenge? Still as big a challenge as it has been? I think the challenge for me the challenge lies in different areas now. Um as we know, there's no big manufacturer input into the, the highest, fastest class of P1. Um, so it's not as competitive as it used to be. But there is still a lot of competition down the grid, and certainly GT, mm-hmm. for me, over the last few years, has been the the sort of crying glory. And that, that's the an ironic thing, is that, you know... You, any driver on the grid wants to win outright, but there's only um eight cars that could well actually realistically maybe not because if you get a p two car that's running really well now you've you've got another two three four of them that were a couple of years ago, yeah uh, that could potentially win the race as well, so things have just changed and um but yeah i'm I'm really interested in the the g t battle because I suppose because those cars. Are uh, closer to a road-going car. They look like road-going cars. All of that, and and, and perhaps the fans have a bit more, um, yeah, you know, recognition of it. Recognition of of these kind of cars, and then then you look at the driver lineups, and it's it's like saying Formula One drivers are the best in the world. Well, they're not they're not the best drivers in the world. You you some have them. Are. You've got some, some of them. them yeah. yeah. But put put Lewis in a a GTE Porsche, he's not going to go and blow Laurent Van, Ventura away by 3 seconds a lap. If anything, Laurent's going to blow him away by, uh, you know, a better time until Lewis get get up his feet. So, you know, they they are the best at what they do. And uh It's just a different aspect of motorsport, and sometimes I... I, Well, all through my career, it's kind of frustrated me that, uh, you know, you you get the Formula One driving because it's so, uh, you know, renowned, um, that they are the best driver in the world when... Yeah, there's a lot lot of good drivers out there. There's a lot of disciplines where there's some great drivers. And there's guys getting paid a lot of money to drive other things by manufacturers... And they wouldn't be getting paid that money if if they weren't good. Well, we've got that 17-car field, here it's going to be
1: epic. You know, both you and I and mm. everybody else is looking forward to the GTA Pro side sort of things. But a few years since you've been a part of that scene, here's the question, if the call came.
2: Um, I I would never say never to anything. Uh, Yeah, I think hard. Um, I think realistically if that call came it would be in an arm car it wouldn't be in a pro car Uh, a different aspect to the race I mean arguably if you're a pro if you're the top pro in an arm car you you end up doing more laps than the pros in the pro car because the arm driver will do the the minimum and then you you know you'll you'll have a silver driver and a gold or a platinum and so yeah you actually have to work harder but maybe you don't have the pressure where you have to be absolutely on it every lap it's a different aspect but um yeah i i would certainly give it my attention and i suppose i'm 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 getting lazy and i'm, I'm not looking for that drive i i think if i set if i set my target saying right I want to drive in the 2020 Le Mans 24 Hours. Whatever car I can drive, I want to drive in it. Then I, I would be relatively sure I could get myself a drive. Why not? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm one of the fittest 45-year-old <laughs> drivers out there, and uh, I'm still active. I'm still as quick, uh, and and uh, you know that's, that's an, a, a whole new thought process as you get older and you start um moving into your 40s and bearing in mind we have some very fast and active drivers out there down turner ollie gavin westbrook prio um and others in their late 30s physiquella physiquella exactly but there's there's an example they they have moved to the am class so um you start to look at things slightly differently, and what i 've realized is i don 't think i've lost any speed i've maybe lost the drive to want to do it, whereas when you 're twenty something you you want everything you want to absolutely you want to drive every weekend you want to be flat out now I quite like being at home with the kids I quite like riding my bike I like playing golf I like doing other things i've had a twenty something year career and you know i i don't mind not driving every weekend and I I st- I'm very lucky with Falcon tires that I have a great program at Nürburgring at you know a very different type of 24-hour race but equally as challenging um as the Le Mans 24 hours so it's it's a it's a a different thing and um and I like my program there and and I like to come to Le Mans as almost as a Spectator with a bit of a job to do in commentary, and to take it all in and not have the stress because, of course, next week I am in, I will have the stress of the 24 hours, and who knows what the weather's going to do and what's going to how going to be, <laughs> and we've got 160 cars on track. You know, it's it's a completely different um, atmosphere at Nurburgring. So um, yeah, it's but it's something I'm very used to because I'm on my 15th of one of them. <laughs> We'll catch up at that race because uh, I'll be
1: joining you on the road to the Ring. For now, thanks for looking back at uh, uh, you know what must be. It's obviously one of the questions you're often asked about the 1999 race. But thanks for sharing the thoughts with us. Uh, I'm going to enjoy spending some time in the TV booth with you while we describe this great race this time around for the 87th running of the Le Mans 24 Hours. For now, Peter Dunbrack, thank you very much.
3: Thank you. I've got rick mayer with me he's uh the chief race engineer for east competizione the only privateer team racing in the huge manufacturer-led gt pro class before we dive into the nitty-gritty of the track action that we've seen already um from yesterday tell me what's the yeah what's the general mood in the team you you obviously come here as the as the privateers up against the the sort of goliaths that we've got um how do you like your chances
4: uh, I think we have a chance. It's really hard to, to say how th- things will work out. We're really kind of, um, uh, we want to make sure that we're um, competitive within the Ferrari world currently because we can't control the BOP that others have or, or how that works with us. But we just want to make sure we have the best car we can get. Uh, we want to make sure that all three drivers are um, comfortable and happy and um, at the same speed, which is hopefully very fast. And put some finishing touches on the car to make sure we have a good car to do double stints in the race because it's double stints that it takes to make it work.
3: Uh, um, before the track action started we we spoke about the test day back during scrutineering and you were talking about the fact that you didn't get enough running or certainly as much as you'd liked during the test day so surely there's a massive positive to last night having some proper dry running now to get your three drivers two of which don't have any GT experience before this event through and
4: and doing their laps it was good to get some dry running the the weather was a bit hit or miss yesterday unfortunately the four hour session didn't yield that many dry laps and then with the uh, Slow zones, full course yellows is such that uh, those laps are somewhat negated as far as learning anything or getting the driver's um, lap time, so that wasn't ideal. Fortunately, the weather for Thursday and Saturday and Sunday is supposed to be about like it is today, kind of overcast, partly cloudy and dry, so we're hoping to get a good run tonight and um, kind of finalize the setup and make any tweaks we need to make in warm-up and um, and have a good race. Like I said, we're kind of on the back foot a bit because we lost so much time in the— in the practice you know we lost four hours just with the uh the late drivers meeting and the drivers coming in late from other events that hurt us a bit too
3: uh, you said, you were telling me that you're confident in the driver crew you've got here you've got people durani raced here with um of course last year so he's got a bit of experience with the 488 you've got ollie Jarvison, jules Goonon who or jewel
4: gunon Jules must get it right
3: jewel gunon this is um who are new to, new to gt racing are they all up to speed at this point do you think
4: I think so. Um, Ali and Pepo put a, um, some really good laps in last night. Um, both of them had some traffic in their in their quick laps. Um, we didn't really uh, do a specific low-fuel new tire run specifically. We just kind of put tires on with the fuel we had in the car to, uh, to get something on the board just in case today was a problem. So we really haven't done a, a proper qualifying effort. Uh, Jewel didn't get uh, as much running as he... Um, he really needed it yesterday. He kind of got shorted a bit. We'll give him more running today. I think it's just a matter of um, enough time on the car to get the, get the comfort level. I mean, it's a almost a four-minute lap, so you don't get to see a particular corner more than every four minutes. So uh, he'll be there. I'm sure he'll be fine.
3: And the, the car is a brand-new chassis, and you're telling me about, you know, that there are always you're going to be thieving problems, the little niggles that you get with a brand-new car. How's that performing now that, now that we've had, you've gone through the test day and the first day of on-track action here during race time?
4: Oh, a couple more little oddities with the car kind of set us back slightly yesterday. Um, I mean, we recovered from we were okay there. The, um, the big deal was the, the test that we lost at so We're trying to play catch-up, but we also have a... Um, uh, a good group with um, Ferrari, Michelotto and AF Corsa so we pretty much share everything we have and we, and we, we, we uh, share the pros and cons of different things that each of us have tested so it's it's more of a, of a three car team than, than three one car teams or a two car team and a one car team so that helps quite a bit it's have information to rely on. Um, if we're uh, completely by ourselves with the amount of time we lost it'd be more difficult to catch up because there'd be a lot more variables that we'd have to satisfy.
3: Well, obviously, once we get to the race, it's going to be you up against the rest. And, I, of course, I'm sure it won't be helping you quite as much once the, uh, once the flag drops on Saturday. So, being the only one-car team in the field, what's going to be the key to strategy matching up against these two and, and, and four-car efforts that you've got in pro?
4: Yeah, I'm not sure. Once you start the race, uh, there's going to be a big advantage for a multi-car team, uh, particularly at Le Mans, because there aren't going to be a lot of... Um, uh, strategy choices where you may split a strategy based on two cars—one trying something and the other car trying something else to see what works—doesn't happen at Le Mans very often in that regard. So I think that won't be a big deal. Um, having the the three Ferraris will be good because if somebody has an issue with a tire or a um, a part of the car having issues or potentially failing something, all that information gets distributed. So if we have a if there's something on the engine or a, a, a control unit or something that has an issue, it'll be known to everybody, and, and, and we'll get that information, so it'll be helpful.
3: After our conversation the other day, because I know you're one of the one of the best people in the paddock at explaining things, be it technical or strategy or rules, one of the great things, I think, for you to be able to tell the listeners to the Marshall Pruitt Day at Le Mans podcast is about the slight changes we've got this year in pit stop regulations for gt pro and the way they're going to officiate the race in terms of full car safety cars tell them about the changes this year
4: well the big difference last year in the pro class the fuel fill time was controlled it was 35 seconds with the probe engaged in the car and that was um fairly closely regulated because they wanted to make the pit stop times the same so your fuel capacity didn't really matter they also mandated you to 14 laps in a stint last year this year they've changed it a bit uh, for the test, they took the fuel consumption of all the cars and allotted in, in major capacity 14 laps plus 3 liters to try to make that uh, more equivalent. And then the rule now is, is it's uh, very similar to IMSA where you have to be able to, the rule is you have to fill the car from empty on the ground in 35 seconds minimum time, similar to how IMSA does it. And that's their, um, their fuel fill audit. And then however many laps you can do is however many laps you can do. But they pretty much, by, by, by getting the, the fuel consumption of the cars and by adding the 3-liter margin, it's a little over 6 liters a lap. There really isn't a lot of margin there to do anything more than 14 laps. But they've opened it up so that if you actually save fuel or if there are slow zones in your stent or whatever, that, that causes you to lose less fuel in the period. And you happen to come in where you have you know, 5 liters left in the catch tank and you can't do another lap. You're going to take fuel less than the 35 seconds, and it's it's a shorter stop for you. Mm. There's also uh, four guys, two guns this year, as opposed to two guys and, and one gun in the box. That it's that significantly uh, decreases the time it takes to change the tires. So changing the tires and dropping the car and fueling on the ground will give you a little bit of an advantage as, being, as opposed to being on the air jacks. The race directors, um, you kind of learned from last year where they had some problems with the, the slow zones and the safety cars where they. Um, Um, hindered some cars and helped some cars because with the three safety cars here, you can lose or gain a third of a lap just by the mere fact that you happen to be in front of a different pace car than your competition. Uh, So this year they have the option of doing a full Corsella which is basically a virtual safety car. So you run around at 80K, and they close the pits when they do that. They close the pits as soon as they announce they're going to do it, but once they say that, they give you a countdown, like a 20-second countdown to full course Then they do the same thing when they go green. They'll give you a, a countdown to, full, to, to when the track goes back green. Um, that basically freezes the field, should freeze the field in the positions that they are to make it a bit more fair. Because when they do the slow zones, they don't, there's nine of them, and you could lose 30 seconds or a minute in a slow zone. If everybody goes through the slow zone the same amount of times, then, okay, everything's even in the world. But that's not what they do. They, they, they call the slow zone when they have an issue that they have to repair. And they remove the slow zone when the issue is repaired. And that's not necessarily uh, um, coincident with how many times each car has gone through the slow zone. So you could gain or lose 30 seconds or a minute based on how many times you've actually gone through that slow zone. And there's some pretty long ones from like Mulsanne to Indianapolis is a very long one. And from Tetrus to the first chicane and the first chicane down to Mulsanne is a long slow zone as well. So you can lose quite a bit of time if you can imagine doing 80K as opposed to you know triple the average it's a, it's a huge loss so hopefully hopefully that'll help. They did the uh, full course yellow quite a bit in the uh, practices. Uh, I've been told the marshals feel very comfortable working on the cars or extricating cars from the track and working on the track. At 80k, when the cars are going around, it's, it's quite happy for them. When they do it with the safety car, then they end up with issues. That between the safety cars, there's just gaggle of cars that are going around that aren't necessarily at a slow speed. They're going the speed of the safety car, so that makes sense. I, I think it it's, it's a better um, uh, method from making it even. Um, unlike IMSA, if you have issues here in the pits, uh, in the garage, accidents, whatever that that puts you down time or a lap you can't gain that back here it's very difficult there's not wave buys there's not one safety where you bunch up people pit and you and, and you get your laps back it doesn't work that way here it, The consistency is way more important here way more important here so i think that the race will evolve a bit differently obviously having 17 pro cars in gt is pretty novel and i think the field i don't think we've ever seen a stronger field than this with so many factory entries so um, what everybody really has for the race I just don't know. I just hope the ACO gets it right with all their analysis that they've done, you know, from last year.
3: I know certainly from looking at the B O P table and from what I'm hearing from people who have spoken to the guys at Aston that they can run a slight version of the car called Aero Kit B. Um, which I, I'm guessing is a way of helping the ACO balance these cars specifically for this race. It's like an, an aerodynamic configuration they can only use this race yep is that only for aston martin or are you nope. all running different configurations? everybody
4: runs a different everyone does a different because at Lamar you run like uh normally we'd run uh eight or ten degree positive wing angle and the sprint races and here we can run minus six significantly different um if you don't find a way to reduce front downforce to balance the rear downforce the only other option you have is raising the front or taking a rake out of the car, putting nose up brake to, to balance the car aerodynamically. And that's just, that's, that'd be ludicrous for that much, for that much wing. So the, um, the um, aero kits here are, are pretty essential if they want to keep the speeds up. Otherwise, everybody'd have to run just a lot of wing or do something really silly with the car. So they've, they've done that. It's, it's the same spec. The cars have run since the 48s kind of came out. There's splitter infills and there's a, a minimum wing angle. And they do that to try to make it um, fair for everyone. And it seems to be um, reasonably good. I don't think we'd want to go much more than minus six in the wing anyway because you'd lose too much, uh, too much downforce. Mm. So I think that's, that's reasonably good. But everybody has a, a very similar um, kit.
3: Final question. From what we've seen so far, it would appear that the BOP and GT Pro, it's pretty close, and it looks like, you know, it's not quite as one-sided as we've seen in the past. Do you think what we've seen so far is representative of what we may see in the race, or do you think there's so much more to come that it's a bit of an unknown at this point? Both,
4: but I, th- I think it's a bit of an unknown. It's hard to say who's, because, you know, the... unlike Imsum, the ACO can and have made BOP changes right up to the race, right up till Saturday morning. So I don't think anybody wants to go out there and um, and annihilate anybody. If somebody does a lap time, if you could go two seconds quicker, you wouldn't. We can't. I mean, we're, we're, we have what we have. So I think there could be some games going on. I'm sure people are holding back a bit. Also, you got to remember qualifying, it's, it's a bit of a different animal. You can... To go quickly in qualifying, it's a single lap. So you're going to have low fuel, new tires, and you're going to um, go to the um, extents of the track limits that are allowed, and maybe possibly more if you can't get don't get caught. You're going to really hammer the curbs, to straight line, a lot of areas. Uh chicane is a pretty big example of that. In doing that, you add a lot of risk. You can hurt the car or, or put the car off. There's lots of that could happen, and, and I, I think that it's the teams that 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 go really fast in qualifying or the drivers aren't necessarily the drivers or the cars that go that fast in the race because of the added risk to driving um with that much risk so we'll see i can say a lot of that depends on how much risk the drivers want to take and how much risk the um the teams and the owners are um willing to accept as far as potential damage because when you start driving that far on the edge uh, you could go over the edge
3: perfect thanks so much for your time rick and i hope you have a fantastic end to your week Thank you, sir.
4: Appreciate that.
1: Thursday at Le Mans and brighter skies greet uh, the Great Circuit ahead of more track action for the main race this evening. We've already had the Road to Le Mans cars and the Ferrari Challenge cars out this morning. Rather less mixed conditions predicted for running. And it's a frantic day of meetings and running around this paddock for comment ahead of some exciting announcements tomorrow uh, for the annual press conference. But uh, taking some quiet time out with... Very familiar face to me, the Managing Director of Asian LMEM Cyril Tishvalen, the man in charge of the Asian Le Mans series. Uh, a relatively new step on the ACO ladder, but one that's been growing in popularity. And from everything we've been hearing, Cyril, leading up to this week, and actually through
5: this week, it looks like
1: the series looks to be in rude health.
5: Hi. Good afternoon, Graham. Uh, you know, it's, um, yeah, everybody seems to be very happy with what we have achieved last uh, last season. Uh, a very quick season indeed. Uh, we can talk about that later, but uh, you know, we we would love to see the, the series growth in terms of number of ev- events. But um, feedback uh, which we have so far, uh, I mean, it's looking very very promising for the coming season. Of course, we have added uh, some changes in the calendar, keeping the four event format, but uh, having that night semi night race in Sepang going to Australia, is probably something which has contributed a lot to uh, increase even bigger and better the the appeal for the uh, 2019-2020 Asian Le Mans series season Um, you know that we, during the test day uh, two weeks ago we have already announced that we have reached uh, a number of entries which has uh, been uh, which is bigger than what we had uh, last year in June uh, which is very promising. Um, and, that, so and that before the meetings that inevitably happen here at Le Mans with a number of those teams? Yeah, correct. Two weeks before we meet all the family here uh, gathered in Le Mans for the, the greatest endurance race uh, in the world. So it, it looks very promising. We are very uh, working very hard, sorry. And um, most of the key Asian Le Mans staff uh, has made the trip. Um, I mean... Colin Ong from Singapore, the event manager. Matthijs Ointing, the sporting coordinator, living now in Portugal. He's a Dutch guy. Uh, The CMO is here to discover the the medical uh, centre of Le Mans. And Mazran from Malaysia, one of the timekeepers. Jane Rowe from Australia, living in the UK. And, uh, you know, it's a very international team. They are all here to work with the teams, uh, with the ACO sporting department, discovering the size of the biggest event in the world you know and uh, you know we are very close to the team in the support paddock for road to Le Mans and uh, all the competitors uh, from Asia that have been uh, awarded an invitation to Le Mans so altogether, it's a very interesting and very important week for us because we are hearing and that um, uh, newcomers uh, either in GT and LMP from Europe and Asia will uh, join the series uh, for the 2019-2020 season which is very very exciting and yes again the sign of another step that we have uh, reached after what we achieved last season so it's um, always work in progress but yeah we're getting there and um, you know we are for, for years we are saying that we are aiming at making sure that ajinom becomes the reference endurance racing series in asia we are keeping a very low profile but step by step we're getting there so it's very very promising you mentioned a few of
1: the changes, in particular for the calendar. Uh, we're not going to Japan this coming season. We'll come back to that in a moment. Back to Shanghai to start the season at the end of this year. Then it kicks off into where it gets to be really different with a brand-new race around that fantastic circuit in South Australia at the Bend, and then back-to-back race weekends at Sepang and Burram to finish the season. Four races again this time around, yes. but uh, we know there's been talk about in the future maybe seeing how when we get to a sustainable grid level, maybe bringing that to five. Does Japan have a future with the Asian Le Mans Series, and what, in your mind, does sustainability look like before you take that big step to a fifth race?
5: Of course, we would love to go back to Japan. It's important to go back to Japan. Um, the you have two aspects we must make decisions with the teams. We are in constant contact with them. Some of them are very keen on making the move from four to five events starting from the 2020-2021 season onwards. But this is something we must make sure that it's affordable and viable from um, an economic standpoint. Uh, and that is something which can fit in the tiny window we, we have for the uh, Asian calendar, which is namely starting at the end of uh, November finishing at the end of February and to do that you must do two events back to back hence the reason why for the first year we're going to experiment this back to back Sepang and Buriram events in just two weeks because now there is a possibility that we generate or the logistics company have 80 carnets made for Asian teams which have no a- ATA carnet, to go by the road. We do trucking from Sepang to Burram, which is not possible the other way around. You okay. can't have ATA carnet created in Thailand to go by the road to Malaysia. So, you know, um, backstage, there are lots of things happening. People think that it's you just have to pick uh, some dates on, on a calendar. But no, behind this, after having avoided the clash with Macau GP, Bathurst 12, Christmas, New Year... Um, you have to give European teams the time to ship equipment or air cars after Portimao and then you, you must make sure that they, they have time to go back to uh, to Europe on time after you picked all these boxes you have to start dealing with all the rest which is making sure that you can do tracking there you can ship containers from venue A to venue B in that period of time etc etc uh, so it's quite challenging always very funny and exciting and um, passionating I would say but Going back to square one, the important thing for us is to make sure that if we succeed and if it's popular amongst the team to have two events in Southeast Asia in just two weeks, then this will allow us, should teams are capable to afford the cost of moving for four to five events, to have these five events organized in the same window of time. So we will see. We have already worked quite hard and deeply into two 2020, 2021 calendar options with some news that I've just can't wait to be able to announce because we work and we anticipate as much as we can to give teams visibility, clarity, and keep the momentum, keep attracting them. Because at the end of the day, you realize that for Asian teams, European teams, having the Asian Le series in the winter is something which is not only potentially in the future one of the greatest series in Asia, it's something which complement a lot their other programs. And for some of them, it becomes a real business case, which makes perfect sense. And remember the conversation we had in Sepang in February, when some of the teams started to be worried about the, the fact that LMP3 cars wouldn't be uh, able to be shipped on time to be um, upgraded with the new LMP3 kit, which is going to be running from 2020 onwards in both the road to Le Mans Michel-Le and Michel-Le Mans Cup and LMS. But now... Uh, you realize that most of the team have ordered brand new cars. And now they are thinking about keeping their old cars in Asia, maybe even keep equipment or buy new set of equipment which will stay in Asia for the Asian Mort Series, and possibly with a view to sell these current generation P3 cars to the Australian market with a view to the launch of the 2020 p 3 Cup Australia. So we are contributing towards building not, e- not even that sporting platform, but something which makes business sense for them too, which is very important because at the end of the day, sports is not cheap, it has a cost, cost must be reasonable, we must make sure that we keep cost as low as possible, and offering that platform and the opportunity for European teams to sell their current-gen P3 cars in Asia, yeah. one and in China next year, but in Australia in the first place, is something which contributes towards the, their interest and their ability to, to order 2020-spec uh, P3 cars rather than upgrading them with the new kit. So, At the end of the day, after having seen some teams being a bit worried about how they could do it, they may find a way to save on cost by buying a new kit, leave their LMP3 car in Asia, rather than uh, having to air freight equipment back and forth. That's one change. The other
1: big change is for the very first time in Asia Le Mans series. Uh, We're going to see the current generation of LMP2s in the top class. At the moment, that, that means a shift to but it's a shift of equipment for the uh, Class 4, the overall win. That, certainly in my trotting up and down this paddock and elsewhere, appears to have been extremely popular. Um, there's a long list of lmp 2 teams that uh, appear to be considering either an lmp 2 entry and or lmp 2 m with the older cars, the uh, Nissan and the Judd engine cars. And I'm not going to ask you to name numbers, but I-, I certainly think we're talking about P2 cars, to my mind, looking into double figures for the coming season. Um, not, Correct. Quite, not, yeah. Yeah, not quite clear how the split between overall and AM is yet going to work out I think some of the teams are still working on that but am I right? Are we
5: looking at something very positive at the top end of this field? It is very positive, oh, I would say 2 two-third, one-third, two-thirds for Pro-AM new, uh, I mean 2017 P2 spec cars and uh, one-third for the LMP AM trophy uh, this is how it looks like um, considering the the teams that have already entered both classes, and uh, those who have expressed uh, publicly an interest in entering. So I think that having made that move, which was not only to uh, to keep the promise uh, to, to uh, make the, the 2017 P2 cars eligible in Asia Le Mans, but also to keep the old generation car for the, the AM class, is something which was to my opinion, for the coming season at least, the, the right thing to do when it comes to try to make the P2 field bigger yeah. and which will, I guess, contribute towards um, the, the growth of the, the, the P2 uh, attractiveness in, in the Asia region as well. And it might be the same in P3. We, we, may, we may see even more P3 than we had last year joining Asia Le Monde. So this is... Uh, yeah, very re- rewarding after the hard work we we have done the last four years uh, building the, the the series. So yeah, uh, we can't disclose a- any names this week this weekend. We would have loved to because there are big names uh, even amongst drivers, um, and uh, but we have to align with their communication plan. Everyone is very very very, very busy. With the, the Le Mans 24, and this will be disclosed and announced uh, step by step after Le uh, Mans. After Le Mans, and uh, you, you will see big names. Uh, yesterday, I was looking at the uh, the, and the Le Mans 24 entry list, and um, we picked some names like uh, Thomas Laurent, Gustavo Meneses, Anders Fjordbach, Paul Di Resta, um, Pizzitola, Opintung, Stefan Riquelmi Gabriel Aubry, James Calado, Pierre Guidi, Phil Hanson. Takeshi Kimura, Earl Bamber Keiko Zolino, Kamledoga, Louis Pretz, Philippe Pretz, Sally Yuluk. Of all done Asian Le Mans series. They've done Asian Le Mans series. And uh, I mean, Thomas Laurent is a perfect example. You go Absolutely. from being a world cutting champion to uh, joining Asian Le Mans in P3. You miss the championship because you join at the second round onwards only, but I mean, look at what he achieved Absolutely. and Phil Hansen uh, yesterday we were talking about Phil uh, Phil uh, won the uh, the P3 class uh, with uh, Nigel Moore he has been awarded rookie of the year award two years ago and he stepped up with, in P2 with uh, Paul de Resta and uh, now they are here in Le Mans again and uh, they are doing WBC. this is exactly what we are aiming at doing in addition to building that strong Asian Le Mans series, which is also making sure that Asian Le Mans is a springboard for teams in Asia to step up the ladder and go to WC and Le Mans 24. Clearwater is another very good example, in Eurasia as well. Absolutely.
1: Your, European teams certainly have said this, I know it's a phrase you don't like, but they're using it, which is they see this as an opportunity to effectively have their winter series. But the beauty of this is not just that, this is also still the...
5: No, it's a series, it's a, it's a growing and very
1: <sighs> Told you, you didn't like it, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <it's>,
5: <laughs> but but what it is as well? It's a very promising series. It's a baby series, yeah. which is growing every year, which is a winter series for Asian teams too. Exactly that point. He got in ahead of me because what I was about
1: to say is... I read your mind, you know. <laughs> more and more you're now. you getting, getting, <laughs> getting an opportunity for the Asian teams and some Asian drivers to measure themselves against the best that are coming from Europe. I was talking, uh, actually, last season of Douglas Coup uh, from Viponisa Racing who's here for the road to Le Mans with his entire team. Great to see them here. And, and that's what he says. He says, yes, I can come out here I can come out here with a couple of aspirant teams from Malaysia." Asia and Singapore and Philippines but actually if what I'm looking to do is to step up and to improve I need to measure myself, I need to measure my team against what the best that Europe can actually bring, can offer nothing else can do that uh, with LMP Racing in Asia other than the, the Asia Le Mans series yeah, and, and that how is it going in terms of getting that, it's a lot more difficult a task but getting those foots on the ladder for teams coming out of Asia into international motorsport through
5: the Asian Le Mans series? It's, it's hard work, but um, the, the P3 product is great for them to start. As, uh, as a P3 rumbles by the window. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it's start, it, it has started in Australia, of course, because of the, 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 the future uh, LMP3 Cup Australia. We remember, we, we, we did um, the Asian Le Spring Cup on purpose to start launching LMP3 and then in the wake of the, the Spring Cup we had that uh, LMP3 series in, ch- in China so it, it's, it takes time we know that we, we're not going to give up anyway but we see more and more Asian teams getting interested in making the step, joining the uh, ACO racing environment in LMP cars and um, this is, this is very important for us an altogether more difficult sell
1: has been GT. There's lots, already was lots of competition in the Asian marketplace with national series, well established national series, well established regional series. Of course, SRO then bring in their products um, and bring all of the, 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 the European teams over to uh, service some Asian clients there. That's been a more difficult sell. Here's your 30 seconds, Cyril. What's your pitch to GT teams from Europe and from Asia as to why they should come and play in the Asian on Series?
5: Exactly what you said previously when it comes to LMP cars with Asian teams and coming here to, to compare themselves with the Europeans. I mean, there is room for endurance racing and sprint racing anyway in China and in Asia in particular. The competition, competition is getting fierce and fierce, but we provide some... And, the Asian Le Mans series is a platform which is completely different uh, because if the, one day they go to WEC or even Le Mans they will have to deal with the traffic with LMP2 and LMP1 car anyway so and we do entrance, we have a very very good uh, TV package and distribution we have a very nice paddock and for those really wanting to enter the big one one day the, for Asian teams the Asian Le Mans is the perfect starting point we can leave it for now. Uh, you've got a
1: lot more meetings to come at this great race week. Uh, I know that the old, the old hospitality suite here is going to be dripping with people keen to get answers to some of the questions you've answered for us and thank you for that. Um, I sense a big change and a positive change for the Asian Le Mans series coming it's come through some very hard work from that team it's I have great to, to say see, great uh, to see your team it here.
5: seems that people like the Asian Le Mans series not only the teams and um, word, of, word of mouth in the paddock is amazing about the, the way it's organised and the ambiance in the paddock which is something which we must keep yeah. because this is one of the key things to attract those wealthy businessmen which are the gentleman drivers actually paying for the bills and uh, they are very much important um part uh, of the success of this continental series and um, yeah the word of mouth is very good and people likes us likes what we do and on the social media the engagement has been the same as the atmosphere in the paddock on social media, people are very positive about the growth of the series, which is something which fuel us a lot. And we are very remote, very international team of people dedicated and committed to make sure that Asia Le Mans becomes what we are aiming at doing with it, which is one of the biggest uh, series in Asia. You know, the chairman of Stewards is from the Philippines, Eduardo Freitas de Le Mans, 24 race directors, Portuguese. Uh, the... Um, Media department is run by Jane Rowe from Australia. Jackie Warner doing social media during the events is from Australia. Colin Ong, the sporting, the event manager is from Singapore. The sporting coordinator is a Dutch guy living in Portugal. One of the timekeepers is Malaysian. The CMO is Malaysian. It's a surgeon in Mal- in Kuala Lumpur. So it's a very very international Asian team. It's you know it's
1: the only Frenchman in the in the place is Sylvester Farn. It seems, but that's where we joke. But it is fabulous to see so many of the team here. At the moment, I bumped into. Uh, number of your team uh, both at scrutineering and the paddock yesterday. As I say, congratulations on progress so far. It's been a bit Thank of you a, for having a, me, pop, a bit of a pot a busty pop this last couple of years. I, spreading sense, the word. <laughs> <laughs> I sense we've got another exciting year to come. Um, good luck with your meetings you to come and I'm sure we'll talk
5: again. Thank you.